Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're talking about it in relationship to a book that we have published, and you can download for free on our websites. And that book is The Higher Liberty. And you can probably Google that phrase in quotes and find that book, because there's nobody else who's really talking about the higher liberty. (laughs) And that is because there is a conspiracy to keep us from understanding what the Bible is actually saying, because that would be inconvenient for the people that have power over your thinking and are making a good living off of your delusion. And that is the modern church. The modern church is not doing what the ancient church used to do. They do not even know the ways of the ancients. And the Bible talks about returning to the ways of the ancients in order to survive, to be free, to be free souls under God. And one of the ways in which you are free souls under God is maintaining and retaining the higher liberty. The higher right, the original right to choose. We are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. And there are a number of verses in the Bible that have been slightly altered. Someone slightly altered the recipe. You know, instead of putting eggs in the cake mix, they put strychnine in the cake mix. It's just one change. Just one change, (laughs) but that is, it is poisoning the minds of modern Christendom so that modern Christians are not doing, are not doing what Christ said to do. They are actually doing the contrary of what Christ said to do. They are actually workers of iniquity. So, I point these things out. It's my job. It's what I do. (laughs) And, And it doesn't always make people happy. But that's not my job, to make you happy. My job is to preach the truth, to preach the Word of God, as it is written, and so that it will be done in your life, in the lives of your children. But you're not doing it now. Most of you are not doing it. And uh, so I'm going to tell you about it. And this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And one of the ways we did this was write the book, The Higher Liberty, which is born out of an article on Romans 13. And as I said, I've already started putting together a series that will take you chapter by chapter through the book, The Higher Liberty. And I actually read the book, but I put in lots of juicy commentaries Because the book's rather short. The chapters are often one or two pages long. And it jumps from one point to the next. And gives you a brief, like, flash of the kingdom. You know, if you watch the old movie reels with film. What a film was, was a series of pictures. Put in consecutive order. And rapidly shown. 
with the clipping of the light. You know, they would show one image, show another, you know, 60 times a minute or, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's 30 times a minute. But anyway, they would show them rapidly enough that you would see what appeared to be moving pictures. And it would require that the light blink off for a second. A new picture was put up. Light blink on and you would see that picture. And another one. And another one. And another one. And you're actually just seeing a quick series of still pictures. Quick enough so that it creates the illusion of movement. But you get... You know, I saw an old, old film of a streetcar going down through San Francisco. And there were horse-drawn carriages and a few old, old cars. And there were these streetcars going and people were walking. It was It was fascinating to see how people walked down the street, the strides they took. This was a day when everybody walked everywhere. If you wanted to get somewhere, even just you had to walk out to the barn to get on your horse. And the strides of people was so much different. You watch people walking today. It is different. Society has changed the way you move. And it has also changed the way you think. And... That moving picture gave us kind of an insight into a time long gone that you cannot get from reading a book because it gave you these flashes of still images enough so that you actually saw the movement of the people. Well, that's kind of what higher liberty is. It's a, it's flashes, bits and pieces of the puzzle so that you can begin to create an image of what it is that you have been deluded from seeing. You can't see it. You can't see the truth. Because you have all the... Somebody has created a false image. So we have lots of chapters in the book, Higher Liberty. And we've already gone to the first one, Romans 13, Social Contracts, Higher Power... Terms of the times where we deal with koine debate, uh, usage of scholars, and no king but Caesar. But now we're moving on from there, and we're starting a chapter that calls is called Republic. And you think, well, we're writing a book about the church. Why would we be talking about a republic? That's a government. The church isn't a government, but yes, the church is a government. And the Bible is about governments. It's about governments from the time of Cain and the sacrifices of Abel and Cain to Babylon, to Pharaoh, to Caesar, to Abraham leaving Haran and Ur. It's all about government. Golden calf was the central theme of government because governments always had golden statues in the center of their city-states. It served a purpose. And then we got better at making vaults, so we put all the golden vaults instead of in golden statues. But it had the same purpose. But anyway, the early church, by historians like Edward Gibbons, was called a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. When you look up in some encyclopedias, it will tell you the first example of a republic was the Republic of Israel, established by Moses. But we think today, because of the sophistry and the ability to redefine words, we think that a republic is an indirect democracy. 
like the United States. The United States is an indirect democracy. It's not a direct democracy. You don't elect the president. You don't elect... Uh, you, you elect men who elect the president. In other words, you elect an electoral college that goes down and votes and actually elects the president. And you don't vote on every law that passes. You elect men and they go down and vote on the laws that pass. And these men are not titular, which is a requirement for a republic, that your leaders are titular in name only. Because these men are actually not just representatives. They are lawmakers. They make law for you. In order to get to that point where they can make law for you, regulate marriage, this this big controversy today in you know, marriage, uh, can you have a marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman? Marriage has always been defined as only between a man and a woman. Uh, the opposite sex. Coming together for what purpose? To procreate. And you can't procreate with a man and a man and a woman and a woman. So, this is what marriage was. But now they're redefining the term marriage. To mean something else. And the reason why is people want to have the status of being married to obtain benefits from a government that exercises authority over the people to take away from one class and give to another. And the gays who want to have men marrying men and women marrying women, which is a perversion of the natural use of your body... They want to have those benefits too, even though they're not contributing to society by producing new children. They want, they want to do that. And it's unnatural, but, and everybody who says, oh well, it is natural, I was just born this way, well then, you're a defect. <laughs> you're, you're a defect. Evolutionarily, you should be bred out of existence, because you don't breathe. You see, if if you have evolved to becoming homosexual, it's the end of society. Because there will be no more society. You You can't get society that way. And so, therefore, that's an unnatural use of a natural thing. It's just self-gratification. It doesn't have anything to do with the purpose of that functionality. You just, you're just in it for yourself. And of course, then you have to do all kinds of things like adopt and stuff like that and say that, oh, well, we really love and all this. But it's really the fact that you love yourself more than you love others that you fall in, that you're given over to this way of thinking, which isn't really the purpose of the show. And I'm not picking on you. You can't help it. Because you've already made another error. And this is the interesting thing about life and creation. You know, once you put that Sinai or strychnine in the cake, it it's ruined. It, it's not going to be a good cake anymore. It's a bad cake. No matter what you do, you could add more eggs, more sugar. You can do all that, but it's you still got the strychnine in there. And it's going to kill people if they eat it. It's not going to be sweet in the mouth or the belly. Well, it might be sweet in the mouth if you put enough sugar in it, but it's not going to be sweet in the belly. Because you've already poisoned it. You see, and what you see in your society where this uh, 
degeneration of society is taking place. And people are out there trying to legislate ways to stop the degeneration of society. They're just putting sugar in a cake full of arsenic. It's not going to fix it. You can't fix this politically. You have to change. If you don't change, governments will not change. You've created this government. You're, you were made in the image of God and you are creating the world around you right now. You are doing it. Either through sloth or uh, an avarice or, or you're actually out there progressively trying to create a society in which everybody gets to rule over everybody else. That's called dog eat dog. That's hell. Hell is a society where everybody rules over everybody else. Everybody is fighting for, I want more stuff. Even at your expense. You know, someone, someone wrote, uh, quoting somebody off of the, they're actually, they, the people they were quoting, I don't believe, are on our, are on our, uh, network groups. But they were quoting them just the same. And um, I I read down real quick, skimming, because I've been up for hours now editing programs and writing and and creating web pages, explaining all the lies that are out there. Keeps you busy. Lots of lies out there. And somebody had uh, pointed out that we're often considered a little crazy when we talk about the truth. And, of course... You know, thousands of years ago, Plato said that strange times are these, that uh, uh, when, you know, you begin to speak about the truth, he says, and one man that dares to tell the truth is called at once a lunatic and a fool. Not that Plato was right about a lot of things, but he did talk about the truth. He did see things. He didn't always make the right choices because of the fact that he was a bit twisted and distorted in his views. You see, it isn't a matter of study, although study can be important. It's a matter of what spirit is leading you. Is it the spirit that creates and gives life and sacrifices of itself so that others may have life? Is that the spirit that is moving you? Because if it's not, you're going to be changed by other spirits that enter in that don't give life, that take life, that devour one another, devour their children, curse their children. And that, of course, is where modern Christendom has gone. They are cursing their children on a day-to-day basis while they are singing with their smiles in their churches. And they don't even know it. They're workers of iniquity and they think they believe in Jesus Christ. And they don't. And so here I come along, do, 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 and I show you what you're doing. And somebody, you know, they immediately come out with their pitchforks and the size and want to burn you at the stake. But I'm going to do it anyway. But anyway, he writes, uh, this, not one of the guys in our group, but somebody quoting somebody else on a blog or something, says, Jesus had a different approach in multiplying loaves and fishes and distributing them unconditionally simply because of need. 
So this sounds like a, a progressive socialist, <laughs> you know, out there uh, right away uh, thinking that he understands Christ and, and is supposedly quoting Christ. Uh, he says precisely, the Nazi work state slogan translated work will make you free. The communists put the same tyrannical policy, salvation through works. You know, I never heard communists saying salvation through works. <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, anyway, and, and this particular guy, uh, I don't know what he, uh, Wallace, uh, oh, Clink, it's like Colonel Clink. Um, he, uh, I'm quoting what he's saying, and he says that communists, talk about salvation through works in practice and vengeance but Jesus had a different approach in multiplying loaves and fishes and distributing them unconditionally simply because of need and then this guy he added toil not your heavenly father knows you have need of these things I, I look for that. And he's got it in quotes. Like Jesus said that. And I thought, I don't remember that. So, I thought, well, he must have one of those weird, you know, like living Bible translations. So, I looked it up and tried to find it somewhere. Well, it's all over the net. That quote itself is all over the net. But I don't think it's in any of the Bibles. I don't know. If you can find it, show me. Because I haven't found it yet. He talks about the birds in the, of the air and the, and the, uh, you know, lilies of the field, toiling not, spinning not, and they are provided for. But the reality is, is those birds work like the dickens. They're out there looking for grain all the time. <laughs> and looking for seeds and looking for bugs and they're toiling. You know, that's not the point of what Jesus was talking about worrying. A faithless approach where you think, well, I I have to, you know, store up and I have to, you know. I mean, squirrels put up nuts, for God's sakes. Christ isn't saying that animals don't do anything. You know, they have to go out and forage. And sometimes they work really hard to survive. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about, he was relating this, and if you knew the whole gospel, to this idea of Corbin, where people think, well, we have to have Social Security, because otherwise, who would take care of us? Well, you, probably nobody. Who would want to take care of you, you slothful little lazy son of a gun? You know, if... You knew that only your children would be taking care of you. Or your loving neighbors would voluntarily take care of you if you fell on hard times. I can guarantee you would conduct your life differently. (laughs) I can guarantee you would be a different person to your family and your neighbors. But if you can send out thousands of men with guns to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, 
you're going to get a different kind of society. It's not going to be a Christian society. It's not going to be a society that follows Christ. It's going to be a completely different kind of society. It's going to be a hell of a society. Because it won't be long. And uh, your children won't care about you. They'll just stick you in a convalescent home. They'll say, well, you know, you collect Social Security. You can get your money from there. Or they'll be so slothful themselves, they'll be living at your house. And they won't be paying their debt. They won't be paying back what they owe you for what you have given them. They will continue to leech off of you. They will be a burden to their parents even when their parents are old. They will live in their mother's house down in the basement. (laughs) Maybe they'll live upstairs and they'll put their mother in the basement. If their neighbor has a need, they're not going. Call 911. I'm not going to get involved. You could see a car flip over on the highway with a child inside, gas dripping, possibly going to burst into flames at any minute. And nobody wants to get involved. Because... That's we wait for the fire department. We wait for the ambulance. We wait for the medics. They'll do it. We just stand here and watch. Hey, you got your iPhone? We can get a picture. This is cool. Or like one group of people said, maybe we'll get to see somebody burn to death. They actually said that. Came on an accident where I mean where a car was on fire. And they got out thinking, wow, maybe we'll get to see, see somebody burn to death. You know, like in the video games that we love to play. You see, you, you're, you've lost your society. You lost the moral character of your society. It's gone. You, you have your churches with their form of godliness. But you've denied the power, the responsibility, and the ability to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You don't even have church services anymore. You just sing and pray and mumble prayers. You know, you might as well all get prayer wheels out and start spinning them around. And think that every time it spins around, God's going to be happier. You've lost it. You Buddhists don't do what Buddha said. You Muslims don't do what Abraham said. You Jews don't do what Moses said. You Christians don't do what Christ said. But you've got your religions. So anyway, we haven't even started on this chapter, and we might not. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, when we get back to the keys of the kingdom, we'll be talking about it. But there is a solution. Start seeing the truth. Start being willing to look at the truth and your relationship to it and your lack of relationship to that truth. And when we get back, that's what we'll do.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about uh, lunatics and the righteous and other righteous people. <laughs> lunatics because they suddenly see what others do not see. There was a there was a book once uh, about kings, um, and uh, these two guys they stumble into a valley where everybody is blind, but they can see, and uh, they're considered almost like gods because of the fact that they can see, and nobody else can, and then they get more and more power and then suddenly the people discover that these guys can see and they figure we need to fix this we need to pluck out their eyes so that they can see no more <laughs> and then they have to try to escape and of course everybody who can't see if they have heightened senses in other ways and so it becomes rather difficult to even escape but um the reality is most of the people in the world can't see the truth. They're actually immersed in a lie. And theologians and politicians and the media help increase that lie. You're, it's like the Matrix, you know, the movie The Matrix, you know. You don't really see what's going on. You see an image that you think is real. And so then, now you're swimming around inside this lie and trying to come up with an answer. But the ingredients of truth are outside your realm of experience. And it will remain outside your realm of experience until you repent. You see, that that repenting that Christ calls for at first. You know, I, I hear all kinds of guys say, Come out of her, my people, lest you be partakers of her sins. But they haven't even got the first line figured out yet. Repent. Change your thinking. Think a different way. And what way was that? You had to think about loving your neighbor rather than coveting your neighbor's goods. You see, that's why I, I constantly... That's not the only problem. But if we don't get that straightened out, we're not going to be able to get our head above water enough to see outside of the delusion. And we see people gathering together in congregations, but they are not taking care of one another. Now, I know that's a big jump from absolutely not taking care of one another to taking care of one another totally. But you don't have to do it totally. You have to start baby steps in that direction. In other words... Form congregations of record. Come together in the name of Christ. You haven't done that yet. Some people have come together, but they're not coming together in the name of Christ. Because they're not coming together to sacrifice themselves for the well-being of others. And until you do that, you haven't really gathered in His name, in His character, and according to His character. So until you do that, your eyes will not be open. You cannot get the scales off. You will remain blind. You'll gather together in your congregations and you'll read the Bible and you'll repeat the verses over and over again, but you will not see the truth. You cannot see the truth. You'll memorize stuff. You can read my books and repeat them or you can read other people's books. 
There's lots of them out there. But you will not see, you will not understand, you'll be forever learning and never coming to the fullness of the knowledge thereof. Because you haven't repented yet. You haven't changed your thinking. You haven't realized that we need to take care of one another without forcing our neighbor. If our neighbor has a need, we need to provide for that need if it strengthens him. Now, this fellow that I quoted in the first part of the show says, If God feeds the fish of the sea and the beasts of the fields and the fowl of the air, how much more would he feed us humans, us of little faith? Well, the fish have to swim and catch it. (laughs) The beasts have to go out and forage for it. And... uh, the fowl of the air as well. It's not talking about a slothful, do-nothing existence. He goes on, What are mechanical advantages of unearned increments of uh, association anyway, but increased efficiency which tend to display human effort and yet create unprecedented abundance? I think this guy is advocating the credit system of money. Which is like uh, feeding uh, monkeys plastic fruit. It looks like fruit. So they have an abundance of plastic fruit. How long do you think the monkeys will survive on that? That if you, if you feed, throw out to the birds grain that is not really grain but is just plastic beads and my wife was pointing out that when the the chickens uh, she'd break their water you know uh, dump it out on the ground and smash into thousands of little pieces of ice crystals and the birds would run around and eat the ice crystals well they do it because it looks like seeds and they like to scratch and grab the seeds. You know, their brain's not very big. I mean, there was already water. They're just, she's just busting the ice. So it's not that they need the water. It's that it looks like seeds. And so they 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 quickly grab at seeds. And that's what they do. But anyway, this guy thinks that the credit system, it sounds like he's thinking that it's good. He says, no, he says, we fools adhere to a financial system that permits the production of unsaleable glut because we can't devise a means to distribute it and the increased leisure that should be a result of this increasing efficiency. The banking system can create billions of new money in a form of debt which is an inflationary charge against future production. And we cannot pay that. Oh, okay. So he is, he's beginning to get it. That money out without debt to supplement consumer income and to subsidize lower consumer prices. The consumer is properly charged with capital Depreciation, but quite wrongly, not credited with capital appreciation, which latter, which latter is much greater than depreciation. There should be no overall need to, 
for consumer debt whatsoever, and consumer prices should be falling continuously. The bankers have effectively appropriated the communal capital by claiming ownership of the credit that they create, credit which actually belongs to the community. What a scam. So, okay, so he sees part of it. But he it doesn't seem to see all of it. I don't know. I need to talk to that guy more. <laughs> but anyway, I'll let somebody in Australia talk to him. But the... Um, the point is, is that we, we devise these systems and people have no understanding. You know, you have these paper bills in your pocket as if they have value. And you, you can go on the Federal Reserve website and they tell you that Federal Reserve notes have no value. And the fact is, is that the community doesn't own the credit. The community is owned, so how can it own the credit? You know, a slave does not own the hoe he hoes with. He may be responsible for it, but he doesn't own it. The master owns the hoe, the field, the crop, the seeds, and the man who hoes it. And he doesn't own, you know, all the slaves in the slave quarters don't own themselves. They belong to somebody else. And this is what has happened to society. We don't want to believe that. So we, we have things like the 4th of July, and we set off fireworks, and, and, and we veneer, uh, 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 reverence the, uh, and venerate the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, and we have our statues and uh, our flags, and we venerate them and think, we are such a great and free people. Although we are the most indebted people probably on the face of the earth. And our children will have to pay that debt with their labor and their sweat. And they will toil. A bird doesn't go into debt. My chickens are. They're into debt. And I get to take their eggs. (laughs) And you're in debt. And they get to take your eggs. And they are harvesting your organs. And they are doing all these terrible things to you. But you deserve it. Because that's why governments are there. To punish the wicked. And who are the wicked? The slothful. Those people who would not take care of one another through faith, open charity. Which is what repentance is all about. If you want to be free, set your neighbor free. Start taking... You will need help. You old foolish virgins, you will get old and you will need help. If you are not helping others now, if you are not gathering together in the name of Christ now, I I will not let you into the kingdom. I will not help you. The door will be shut. You know, I I was doing a web page in uh, the last few days in a discussion with somebody I've known for years and thought he was a pretty nice guy and probably is a pretty nice guy. But he's a foolish guy. And he has sat in his house or his mother's house and uh, which I guess he's now inherited if his brother doesn't hasn't taken it away from him because his brother wanted a share of it too. <laughs> so I don't know where that all went. But um, he... Uh, 
is arguing because of the fact that we use a term called vows, which you find in the Testaments. And uh, we talk about vows, taking holy vows. And of course there are other churches that take vows, but they don't take vows like we take vows. We take vows like the early church took vows. And But I use that word vow and you immediately have a thought that pops up in your head about what a vow is. But that thought may not be correct. So I created an entire web page on our Preparing You site called Vows. <laughs> and I point out that someone objected um, to our reference to religious vows in a discussion on the Loving Network uh, about abjuration. And he asked, Christ's words are plain and easy to understand to those who wish to comprehend, at least in this instance. Otherwise, why would he follow us, follow up a statement such as swear not at all and direct connection, vows and vowing with let your yeses be yes and no be no. All else cometh from sin. Well, I looked at some of the quotes that he had in his email and I noticed that his translation of those verses from the original Greek varied from what I see in the King James. Not that you have to only use the King James, but I only use the King James. But then I go back to the original Greek and Hebrew and take a look at what those were because the King James is terribly distorted. It's a version. It's not really a translation. It... it, it will translate five, six, seven, eight different words, eight different Greek words into the same English word. It does that. Well, you're going to miss something. The authors were picking from eight different words and saying, well, I'm going to put this word here. I'm going to put that word here. But the translators just made them all the same. So you're going to miss something. It's not necessarily wrong. It's a version. The the word they use may be close enough because every word in the English language has multiple definitions. And so, but by knowing the Greek, you know which of those multiple definitions to apply to that particular word. Also, sometimes there just is not an English word that compares exactly with the Greek word. A lot of them do, but some of them don't. And so if you go back and understand the original Greek word a little bit better, you can understand what the author is really meaning. And this is navigating through these translations. And in the translation that he was using, his Bible suddenly translated the Greek word horkos or orkos into vow. Everywhere, the King James translates that word into oath. And it has to do with a Greek God who uh, brings punishment to those who bear false witness. And, of course, that's just symbolic of uh, judges. It's, it, an oath is something, you know, where you swear something under penalties of perjury. Which you guys all do every day, even though Jesus said, swear not, not at all. And anything more than that cometh of evil. You, you sign document after document under penalty of perjury. And sometimes you have to in order to to feed your family. 
And the reason you have to in order to feed your family is because you haven't gathered together in the name of Christ. And so therefore, the only place you have to go to survive is to the door of the fathers of the earth. And you have to pray to them. And if you're going to pray to them, they make you sign under penalty of perjury. And they bind you up in systems of Corbin and Corvies where you go under tribute. But you should be under tribute because you've been slothful in what Christ said originally to do, what Moses said originally to do, what Abraham was doing, what what Seth was doing, what Abel was doing. You've been doing what Cain was doing. You see? So you should be in bondage. And the governments that rule over you should make your life miserable and difficult. And they are doing a good job of it. More power to them. Until you repent. Now, if you repent, then we'll sing a different song. We'll sing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. But you haven't seemed to learn that one yet. And I don't see you singing in your in your churches. So you should be in bondage. But anyway, and I go on in the article and I, the page has just gotten bigger and bigger. It's not that big, but uh, don't get scared. You know, you, it's not bigger than a Hardy Boy book or something. <laughs> so, anyway, I've got these different sections now that you can go down to Os and Vows. And we compare the two. Horkos is not a vow. It's an oath. Now, you can take a vow and add an oath to it. And then that vow becomes an oath because you added an oath to it. But that's not how the word appears in the Bible, in Acts, and I think James. There are several places where you can quote it. But he says, well, where does Jesus talk about vows? Well, vows in what sense? Vows in the way you're thinking that a vow is an oath? No. Vow in the sense that it was used. The same word that's translated vow in the Bible in King James is also translated prayer one time. And But it, UK is the Greek word and it means a vow or a prayer depending on what definition of vow you put on the word vow <laughs> and uh, prayer depending on what definition of the word prayer. We show that there are eight different words in the Bible. Originally I said six uh, when I first started writing the article, but then I found a couple more <laughs> so <laughs> that are translated prayer. And they're all different words. And sometimes they both appear, or more than one appears, in the same verse. So they can't translate them both prayers, so they translate one prayer and one supplication. You know, there's actually several cases of this. It's not just the word that we see as supplication. Prayer is a statement. It's not, there are prayers that are requests for stuff. And there's a prayer that is a statement. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where's the request? But that's part of the prayer. That's the UK part of the prayer. That's the vow part. The statement. That you recognize our Father who art in heaven instead of our Father of the earth. Our Father who art in Rome or our Father who art in Washington, D.C. or our Father who art in Sydney, Australia or our Father who art in London. Oh, wait. 
our our mother who are in London. <laughs> Until they get a king, they got a mother. But it's the same principle. It's the Patronus. And we write about that. And if you haven't, you don't understand what I'm talking about, you have to do some more studying. Yeah. Got to read another article. Or listen to another audio. But this is what repentance is about, is that you're going to come together with others and you're going to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We don't want to pray to the fathers of the earth anymore because Jesus said not to. But you keep doing it. But you got your churches. And you got your big screen TVs. And you sing some wonderful songs and it makes you feel so good. But you're still praying the rest of the week to the fathers of the earth for your benefits and they attain them by exercising authority over your neighbor and taking from your neighbor. They're not making loaves and fishes out of nothing. They make them out of the sweat and blood of your neighbor and your neighbor's children and grandchildren. And you don't care. And that's why Christ don't care about you. I mean, he cares about you enough to want you to repent. But when you cry out to him, he's not going to hear you. Because he said he's not going to hear you. And God said he's not going to hear you. Because you've been coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of the fathers which you have elected for yourselves in your indirect democracies that are not republics. You know that the United States has a creed and it says, I believe in the United States as a democracy in a republic. Now, that's right. The United States is a democracy. It's not a republic. It's in a republic, but it's a democracy. And if you're in the democracy, you're in the box. You can't do the things you do in a republic because you're in a box in the republic. So I didn't, I'm not working on the chapter of higher liberty. We'll have to do that at another time. Because we've used up so much time looking at this. But we use vows in the sense that they're mentioned in the Bible. And this guy, you know, I tell him, I explain all this in little bits and pieces, but I keep sending him to the, this website page because it has footnotes on the website page. But instead of going there and reading and examining it, he just wants to debate. And Paul says, you know, debaters don't get to come into the kingdom of heaven. Contention people who just want to argue because it's not important to find the truth. It's important to appear right. And and these loner people mostly appear right because of the fact that they sit around and they convince themselves that they're right. They're not actually trying to find the truth. See, I had to admit that I didn't know the truth in order to find the truth, and you do too. That's part of the deal. You have to have enough humility to realize that you don't know the truth. So anyway, we had another section in there called Vows and Prayers. And in that, we talk about the fact that Herkos is is not a prayer. It's not a vow. Arcos is an oath. It is swearing, going under a penalty of perjury. 
But in Acts 18.18, in Acts 21.23, and in James 5.15, we see the word UK, which is translated vow in Acts, and in James it's translated prayer. And it's the same word. And he says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, the prayer of faith is a prayer of statement. You see, that's vow. A vow is a statement. It's a solemn, meaningful statement. Like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done. You see, that's, that's a vow. That's a UK. That's a statement. And Jesus calls it yukamai. Or actually, I'm not sure if that's the word he uses in that particular context uh, because there's syntax here. But anyway, we go on and we show a vow is not an oath. A vow is not an oath. And we give, you know, three different footnotes stating a vow is not an oath. Different sources. A vow is a statement. An, an undertaking, an acceptance of an idea. And that's what a vow is meant in the Bible. Don't redefine it. See it as it is. Until we meet again on Keys of the Kingdom, peace be with you and upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www. Dot hisholychurch.net Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God, and we're talking about those who seek it, which are often called lunatics and fools. Because they speak the truth. They want to see the truth. They want to understand the truth. They don't want to pretend to be the truth. They don't want to pretend to be saved. They want to actually know. And what makes you decide you want to actually know? Did you decide that in your head? Up here in the brain, in the screen of your mind, you said, well, I'm, I want to know. Everybody says they want to know the truth. Actually, they don't all die. I've run across people who say they don't want to know the truth. 
that actually said, I know what you're saying is true, but I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to go that way. It's too uncomfortable. They, they didn't, they weren't in love with the truth. And the fact is, is almost every one of you is not really passionately in love with the truth. You want some truth, but I will guarantee every one of you will come to a point of truth that you do not want to receive. And hopefully in time, you will repent of that and seek that truth too. Because you have to accept the whole truth. You know, you can't, you can't bring that lie in here. You have to let go of the lie and that takes a lot of humility. A lot of people just don't have that. So in the last show we were talking about uh, a lot of things. The fact that the Bible is about government. We were talking about the fact that Paul was taking a vow, not an oath, a vow. And that Jesus talked about vows over 36 times in the Bible. But they don't translate a vow, they translate a prayer. And the reason why I say he talks about vow is the word that he uses is considered a synonym for the word they translate into vow. Problem is, is that you have different meanings for the word vow than UK. If you look up the word vow, a lot of times people say a vow is a promise. A, a vow is not necessarily a promise. It's not an oath. An oath is a promise, but an oath is a promise under the penalties of perjury. Somebody can punish you if they think what you said under oath is not true. But a vow doesn't give anybody the right to punish you. One thing you'll find is a vow is always to God. A vow is a statement, a solemn statement. That's what a vow is. A prayer is a solemn statement. There are prayers that are intercessory, and there are prayers that are requests, and there are prayers, lots of different kinds of prayers, which is why there are eight different words translated into prayer in the Bible. But a vow prayer is a statement. Jesus is is Lord. That's a vow. If you mean it, it's a statement. That if you come all into one accord, agreeing that Jesus is your Lord, that's a vow. That's a prayer. That's a statement. If you say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that's a vow. As the word was used in the New Testament, in Acts, and in James, UK. And then there are other words that they add on to that. You know, like like I said, that uh, let's look at some of the words that are also translated into prayer that are not UK. Domai, which is translated pray, pray and means to want, to lack, to, to desire, to long for. Uh, or the word desis, translated prayer. And it's defined need, indigent, want, privation. And appears with other words meaning pray. 
quite a few times. Uh, you can uh, see it in Ephesians. Ephesians 6.18, praying. That word is prosukomai, which is has the UK in it, in the middle of it. Always with all prayer. So it says praying with all prayer, which is the word prosuke. Same word, uke, is in there again. And supplication. Well, the word supplication is desis, which is also translated prayer. So, it wouldn't make sense to say praying always with all prayer and prayer. <laughs> so, they had to put in the word supplication. But other places where you don't have a word prayer already in the text, they will just translate supplication as prayer. And you won't know that if you don't have a good minister who's checked these things out. Now, that doesn't make a lot of difference in your thinking. But if you start doing it in other places, it will. Because the word supplication that is translated prayer there has nothing to do with UK, which is this vow prayer. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, again the word supplication, for all the saints. And we see it in Acts one fourteen. These are continued with one accord in prayer, prosuke, and supplication, desis, which is also translated prayer, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And we see it in Ephesians 6.18, where it has both prosuke and desis, and, and, uh, and Philippians 4, uh, verse 6, and 1 Timothy 2.11, and First uh, Timothy five five and James five sixteen, but in James five sixteen it's slightly different. It's not the word prosuke; it's the word ukomai, which appears twice in the text. And it's it's those those don't always make a great deal of difference. But some of these other places, if you like translate horkos into vow, that word doesn't mean anything like uke. It's not even similar. It has to do with binding yourself to other men, where other men get to make choices for you. And you're no longer at liberty. You, Even though you are endowed with the right to make choices, liberty... You've lost that liberty because you sold your birthright to make that choice for a pot of porridge, a pot of benefits, a pot of entitlements, or a lot of other things. So that word prosuke is translated prayer some 36 times. And prosukomai, which is the word pray, almost 90 times. They are both extensions of this word we see translated bow. The word UK is clearly not the same as the word horkos, more often translated oath, and in the King James always translated oath. But some people want to imagine that they can use these words interchangeably, and they simply are not. Or that they can make, apply to UK modern definitions of the word bow. 
they do truth and Christ a disservice. And if they continue this, they are bearing false witness about what Christ actually said and meant. We've seen how translations can translate five different words or eight different words into the same English word. And at the bottom of this article on preparingyou.com, on vows, we have a list of other articles we have, like the word world. Five different words translated into the single English word world, and they don't all mean the same. They don't, they don't mean even close to the same, and none of them mean planet. Or the word religion, which used to mean what you did to fulfill your duty to your fellow man, and now it means what you think, because you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace, so you don't have to do anything. Even though we are told that if we have faith, we will do. And if we're not doing, then our faith is dead. So we have a false faith, which is bearing false witness. It's taking the name of the Lord in vain. You see, you're not supposed to bear false witness. And you're not supposed to take the name of the Lord in vain. Aren't those the same thing? Absolutely. Ten Commandments are a little redundant. But that's okay. You know, I don't know anybody who has not stolen something from his neighbor that he didn't first covet it. <laughs> so, he's got two sins. See, it's a little redundant. If you don't can't covet, then you won't steal. Or how about the word gods? What does that mean? It means ruling judges, magistrates. It tells you that in the concordance, but you don't know that. Most people don't know that. They think gods are, you know, some pagan statue gods or the god or the word worship or the word father you don't know what the patronus is even though in your u.s codes it says parents patria obey the father and they have codes saying obey the father and they're talking about the state as your father who do you think it jesus was talking about when he said call no man on earth father but where are you supposed to pray where are you supposed to make your vow to the fathers of the earth who require oaths? Or to your Father in heaven who requires none? Our Father who art in heaven, it doesn't say, I swear our Father who art in heaven. But it's a vow, it's a prayer, just the same. This playing with words, you know, I wrote a whole article, sophistry in language land, artifice in language land. Or the word Corbin. If you don't know it's a social security system, then you probably think your Corbin's okay. Or anarchism. It means without an exercising authority, which is what Christ said. Christ never used the word anarchism, but he said you, you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. Anarchism means you have no leader who can exercise authority. A republic is a place where the leaders are titular. They don't have the power to exercise authority. They cannot make laws for you. But you're not in the republic. You're in the democracy. And the democracy can. And unfortunately, it's an indirect democracy. But even if it was a direct democracy, you'd have the same results as long as your spirit is not that of Christ. And it is not. 
Or how about the word Nicolaitans, which is the same as the word Balaam, which means conquered people and conquered by what? Conquered by your own greed, your own love or reward. Or baptism. Who knows that baptism was not something that John the Baptist invented? That Herod was already baptizing people by the thousands, but with a different spirit. Or the word capitalism. How many people know what that means? There hasn't been capitalism in the United States for a hundred years. That's right. There is no capitalism of any consequence whatsoever being practiced in America for over a hundred years. And the socialists are saying, how's that capitalism working out for you? What capitalism? Now, do you know what I mean when I say there is no capitalism? Do you know why I can say that and make that true? And show you that it's true? It's what we talked about in the last show. You can't have capitalism with debt notes. That's not capitalism. The means of production are not in your hands. You don't own it. You are owned. So anyway, it's gotten to be quite an extensive little article uh, covering all the bases. If anybody wants to read it, you just go to preparing preparing you, you dot com and uh, do a search for vows and it will open the article and you'll get to see the oath of Horate which is this Greek thing where you you all are under oaths and and your vows are sworn to but not to the God of heaven but to the gods of many of the earth and those of you who have studied a little bit know exactly what I'm talking about and those of you who are not think I'm a lunatic and a fool. <laughs> but I don't think you're righteous. So there. <laughs> so you have to repent. You have to turn around. This is what Christ called you to do. But you don't even know where to turn to. Or what it looks like. And I can tell you that you gather together in small congregations in your local community and start taking care of one another. Start thinking of ways in which you can provide for one another. Start creating industry in your community that can help provide for you. And you can do this through the church. You won't do it through the church at first. You just have to start doing it together with each other. It's actually a combination of things because you don't belong to the church. You belong to yourself. And this is what we're supposed to be doing at at the church is returning every man to his family and every man to his possessions. In the United States, you think you are free. we got the 4th of July coming up here soon when this recording is being made anyway. But the reality is you don't own your house. You don't own your car. You don't own your labor. And we can show you this right in the law. Law versus legal. Go look it up. You don't own your labor and you don't own your children. And you say you're free? Are you kidding? The government owns all the land. You don't own it. You're renting it at a rather high price. Now, you don't want to accept that. I must be a lunatic. But if you actually read the articles, that was one of the things of this fellow, he's not reading. He's already, his brain is closed off. He's actually 
in a box, in a box. He actually thinks he's not in the box. He thinks he's free. I think he, he still claims that status. But he's actually in another box. Because if he was outside of that box, he would see that he's not free. And he's not doing things according to the ways of Christ. That he is actually a worker of iniquity. He's actually a foolish virgin. Because he's not gathering together in the name and the character of Christ. And so therefore Christ is not there in his midst. So wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. But he's not gathering. You know, he might have a couple of cronies that, you know, but that's not, that's not gathering in the kingdom. That's not seeking the kingdom. That's just seeking feel good with a small church. So anyway, we're, we're going to look at a couple other things. Uh, I, I was going to also start this series on what about Bob. And I'm still taking notes and still following uh, and what it is, is a lot of people are throwing out, and, and this fellow was doing the same thing. He was throwing out parroted verses that he doesn't even know what they mean in the context of the Bible. And part of that is poor translation. He was using a translation that was translating Herkos into oath. I mean, into vow instead of oath. And that's just... Not correct. I mean, it's just wrong. Period. Even the King James got that right. And um, so you start doing that. And you do that a couple of times. And before you know it, you can start creating all kinds of doctrine. And that, of course, is what people are doing. And uh, one of the quotes that they people keep throwing out, the, the, the Bob group, is, you know, that we're saved by faith and not by works. And they're absolutely terrified of works. But uh, if we look in the Bible, just do a word search on doeth. And uh, it'll take you to lots of verses in the New Testament, if you're in the King James. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And remember, go back to that vow prayer. Of Christ, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. So these are statements. These are vows. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of my Father. So you, you, you have to do that. And he's telling you that's the vow you have to take to do it the will of the Father. You don't take it to me. You don't take it to, you know, President of the United States. You take it to God. It's This is between you and God. And you're going to fail. And God will forgive you if you're repentant in your heart and continue back on the path. Or how about Matthew 7.24 Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, Heareth and doeth. But now they say, oh, you know, just believe. Just believe. When Paul was saying that, he was talking about and to people who were doing them. 
I've been talking to you. You haven't been doing them. I will liken them unto the wise man which built his house upon the rock. Because they are doeth. Doers. Matthew 7.26. We ought to read 25 in, the, in between. It says, And the rain descendeth, and the flood blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And then he, he concludes, And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. This is his doctrine. This is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. To be a doer and not a hearer only. That is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That did not change ever. Jesus knew what he was saying and what he was talking about and he did not repent of what he said. And you need to not, or you actually need to repent of what you thought he said. Because you have to be a doer and do what? Gather together in his name. To sacrifice yourself for the good of others. Because you love others as much as you love yourself. And you're not doing that. It's all about feel good. So how do you do that? Are, are you becoming the social welfare system of your congregation? Are you becoming the social welfare system of your community? Are you being righteous in the ways of the Lord? Or are you just a hearer on Sunday or Sabbath and then, you know, you sing a few songs and you think you've performed a service? You know, the the health care that's coming up, the already have where you have to pay for the education or the brainwashing of your neighbor's children. Uh, you have to pay and pay and pay and pay and they're taken and taken and taken and taken because you rejected God already. That's the... That was in your recipe. I'll reject God, His ways, but then I'll do a kind of fancy church sidestep and I'll save myself by what I think. And it just doesn't work that way. You have failed. You've brought in damnable heresies. Matthew 8, 9, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another come, and he cometh. And to my servants do this, and he doeth it. No greater faith. He understood how the kingdom works. We don't exercise authority if you don't do it. Okay. No sweat. But we we know what needs to be done, and we do it. Some of us. <laughs> Some of us are still sitting on our hands, wondering what's happening. We're starting a course on a special group in the website and we've offered everybody an opportunity to get on that course but they have to pick a contact point within the network and then get to know him enough so that he will put you on that group 
And we will show you how the early church operated and how that relates to what the church should be doing today. And most churches aren't doing that. Of course, they don't need to do that because they aren't taking care of the needy of their society. They they send them to the fathers of the earth who exercise authority to do that. And they should be ashamed because they're actually workers of iniquity. Deceiving and leading the whole world into deception. And I just heard a Monsignor in the Vatican was arrested for banking violations of moving, what was it, $26 million uh, from Switzerland to Italy in a private jet. And they caught him. And that's a crime. But there's all kinds of intrigue in the Vatican. Probably more. There could be an inside job setting him up to get rid of him. Maybe he was a moral man and he was beginning to change his spots. So they did him in. Wouldn't be the first time. There's corruption everywhere. Billions and billions and billions of these credit notes are disappearing and nobody investigates, nobody looks for them because thieves and robbers can break into your vault because your vault is not the ways of the kingdom. It's not the ways of righteousness. It's not the ways of God. And you should be ashamed of yourself and you should go another way. But people don't go that way. And so they end up being in bondage, entangled again in the elements of the world. So what my recommendation to you is to everybody get on the network, hisholychurch.org, or go to thelivingnetwork.org, thelivingnetwork.org, you can type that in, and join up in the local groups, and start forming congregations of record, start coming to our feasts and festivals, Start getting to know one another. Start contributing on a regular basis, not necessarily to me, although we could always use the help, but to your local congregations of record who will keep books on what he receives and what he does with what he receives. And start seeing if you can start becoming the government of God in a pure republic where he does not exercise authority over you, over you, but only over what you give him. This is the way Abraham, Moses, and all the free societies of mankind have operated. And that's what the church was. It was an alternative health care to the health care offered by Rome. It was an alternative welfare to the welfare that was offered by Rome. It was based on faith, hope, and charity, and it snared you with nothing but love. No oaths. No penalty of perjury in its vows. But the men had to come together and state that I seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and I want to seek it with you, my brethren, so that we know where you stand. You stand under God because we're seeking the kingdom of God. But you understand Him alone and together with us as brothers in Christ. And then 
your congregation should gather with other congregations so that you're seeking the kingdom and not just congregationalism. And we'll talk a little bit more about what you can do there when we return to the keys of the kingdom. After a brief word. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I talked about the livingnetwork.org, which will actually take you to a page on preparing you, which uh, I think we ought to dress up a little bit more uh, with a little bit more welcoming graphics than what we have on there now. But it has the basics where you can join groups in the different states. And those are just email groups. But once you're on those email groups, you can pick another contact minister, what we call a PCM, personal contact minister. You you license him to be your contact guy with the rest of the group. And he has access to groups that you do not have access to. Because if we put, you know, a thousand people on an email group, you can't have conversations with a thousand people. It just gets, people are sending all kinds of stuff. So we filter that out by creating levels to the groups. And you pick your contact guy. And then so, you know, right now we're organizing this course on the order group. And everybody is connecting. And you can't get on the order group unless you've picked a contact minister and you've gotten to know him. And how do you get to know him? He could live a 100 miles away. I mean, he might be in the same state, but he might live a long ways away. So you don't get to see him every day. But you can call him up. He'll call you up and you talk to each other and maybe you get a chance to meet. And if he gets to know you and feel confident enough, he will help you get onto that group and then we'll start the course. Uh, you should be reading the other books and uh, getting to know the material because it is so diametrically opposed to what you normally have been hearing in your schools for a hundred years and even in your churches that it's going to take a little bit of a learning curve to figure out what's really going on and what you missed. But if you do that and you work together at that, you will begin to create the alternative. Alternative system, you know, an alternative money system is easy to create. Very easy to create. We have guys that are capable of making that happen right now. But you're not ready for that. Because you got to change first. You see, you can't, you can't change the course of the world by turning around in your state cabin, cabin. You know, like, a, you know, like the ship is going towards the rocks. And so you stand up in your cabin and you turn to the right. Or everybody goes over and leans on the right side of the boat, even. That isn't going to change the course of the ship. Somebody's got to actually turn the rudder. And people aren't doing that. And so, therefore, you know, you go you go and elect somebody and nothing happens. It still gets worse. And so you get more active in politics and it still gets worse. It's because 
the ship is going the wrong direction and you're on the wrong ship. You need to man the lifeboats. You need to head for the rock. You need to look for dry land. That's righteousness. Because you're all mixed up in the laws of the sea and the ways of the evil one. So you have to become that doer of the word. You you can't get to where Paul was writing the churches because you put the word church outside the building you meet in on a sign. That doesn't make you a church. What makes you a church is that you conform to what Christ said to do. And you have to conform to His Spirit. And that means you have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. So you have to gather together, not so that you can be free, but so that you can free others. You're not doing that. You're not, you're not caring, you're not sacrificing for the good of your neighbor and the well-being of your neighbor. You're not doing that yet. Not to any consequence. You have to stop playing church and start being church. Yes, churches should not incorporate to the state. But you would be better off incorporating to the state and taking care of one another in faith, hope, and charity than you would be by not incorporating and failing to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and become the social insurance of your congregation. Now, do you hear what I just said? That That's going to be controversial in the minds of a lot of people. Your church would be better off incorporating under the authority of the state and becoming the social welfare system of those people who congregate in your church than it would be to not incorporate as a church under the power of the state but fail to become the social welfare of your congregation. And Jesus said that. Now, now everybody keeps stewing and getting all upset. <laughs> or some of you are actually wondering, where did Jesus say that? You know, because <laughs> you actually know me. <laughs> Be friends with the unrighteous mammon. So that when it fails, you'll be suitable for more righteous habitations. You have to love one another. You have to take care of one another. That's the key. Isn't that what they did when they found themselves in the bondage of Egypt, which is where you are today? They still paid their tally of bricks, but they gleaned in the field at night for their straw, their benefits, to take care of one another. They, according to Philos, they, they filled each other's water flasks, which were actually Berkey water filters. <laughs> Their version of a Berkey water filter. They knew the water would be tainted. They, they knew that there was going to be this red tide in the water, and even in the wells. And so they made Berkey water filters, uh, which is really a ceramic water filter. They made it a little different. It wasn't stainless steel. I mean, it was actually... And we can show you how to make those. That would be a great project. If we can get the clay, uh, we should do that. But I don't have enough help. I don't have enough people really working. I mean, when I talk about working, 
I talk about working, working. <laughs> I mean, like 15-hour days, not four-hour days. Not showing up at 10 o'clock and going home at 4. But showing up at 5 and going home at 9. <laughs> That's a working day. But you got to want to do that. That's the kind of work that you need to be doing. Because the kingdom is a full-time job. And, you know, we're looking for ministers. This is why we're organizing the order group, is we're looking for ministers. We're obtaining land. We've already obtained it. We're on it. Uh, We're finishing up things. But we need also to have ministers who want to serve congregations. So we need congregations. So you need to form these congregations. You know, I mean... It isn't any different than walking into a church and sitting down in the pew. It's just you going on record that we're going to we're going to start watching each other's back. We're going to start helping one another. We'll start studying together. We'll start doing a few things together. But we're going to start charitable enterprises together. You say, well, we don't need any help. Well, somebody needs help. So let's go out and do the charitable work. That means you guys who have got these good jobs that are in the system and wanting to be free, but you're making this good money, you need to be contributing. We need to be creating these charitable works. Out there, the red heifer stuff. You know, the foreign aid outside of our congregation. Nobody in your congregation needs help. You need to be giving help outside that. And we've got some workers ready to go. We need more. But we need the resources to do it. But you see where I'm going with the kingdom of God. You see, what was the weightier matters? Again, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You need to be exercising that with somebody. Somebody needs help. And so I see requests coming in for people joining the order group. We already have a number of people on it. And I've got emails just sitting there ready to go to start. And I'll have to be putting that together. But I also have to do some, you know, half dozen radio programs a week. And then I have to edit those files and put those files up so that you got them. And then I have to put some rhyme or reason with that. And... Plus, I'm trying to write some books, and I'm, I need to be writing more articles with news of views. And, and uh, yesterday, I went out in the field. I'll tell you, people like my sheep stories. So I went out to get the sheep, and we had we put them in what we call the weekend pen or the Sabbath pen. And uh, nobody was watching them. You just put them in that pen, and there was a lot of feed in there that we want to eat up because they're eating up the field that they normally are in, which is a pretty big field. But uh, there's still grass there, but they pick on certain areas. But we're keeping them out of the hay fields until we hay, and we can't hay that field until like the 15th, and there isn't any fence around that, so we can't put them up on the desert side, uh, the the mountainside, until the field is hay, because they'll go down into the field. So anyway, all these things are going on. And so I was going to go out and gather them because we're going to share. We were going to share today, but now we're going to share tomorrow. And uh, so I had to go up and gather the sheep. So I went out into that field, and there was a little water leaking into that field. So they were all hanging down there, and it was pretty hot. So I wanted to get them back early because I was expecting a call from Tennessee, which didn't come in. 
But, um, so you got all these things, you know, you, you got to be here for this person and be here for that person and go do this. And, and the sheep were not cooperating. For one thing, when I called them, they did not come. They, cause it was so hot, they just stayed back down there near the only water they had. I was, had the gate open so they can go to more water, but they didn't come. They just stood there. So I had to walk all the way down and say, come on, let's go. And then they finally started coming. A few of them wanted to go back, but then they came. And, and this is all on foot. You know, no dogs. Just come, come on, let's go, let's go. And they start coming. And we get out and there there was water they could drink, but some of them were anxious and they jumped another fence to get into another field where there was more water rather than go around where we were going to go. And uh, they divided themselves. Some were in the heifer field. Some jumped over into the hay field. Some ran under this barricade into the spring. And, and uh, you know, and some were moseying around where they were supposed to go. But so you had to go back and pick up the others that were left behind. So you had to let them in through this gate and gather them up and then move them out to this other gate and keep the cows from going to that gate. And so it's all taking hours of time. Or, to, you know, a lot of time before I was done, there was hours involved. And then I found a lamb that was lost that I didn't know about that had been separated probably for 24 hours, maybe more, from the other sheep. Got tangled in a piece of wire. They got snagged in a bush and it wrapped around his chest and his back leg and he couldn't move. He was stuck there down in a real low ditch so you couldn't spot him. And you could see that he'd been hungry. He had been without food and water for at least a day. And uh, I untangled him and got him loose and then he didn't know where to go and then we had to get him with the other sheep and then get him in the field and now he's he's all safe. But so we found that sheep because all these other sheep were going where they weren't supposed to go, although we would have seen them when we picked up to that gate. But then we went out to the big gate, out into about 800 acres of ground, trying to get them to come all the way back for shearing. And they started spreading out and going along in a big long line, which is what they're supposed to do. And they were moving along that way. and But two sheep were lagging back. One in particular, the ringneck sheep. And this sheep has no wool around its neck at all. It's just, it's bare. It's all rubbed away. Why? Because she sticks her head through the fence to eat grass on the other side. Now, there, she could be knee deep in grass on the side that she's at, but she's got to eat the feed on the other side of the fence. It, somehow that tastes better. And so she's always sticking her head through the sheep wire fences. Till the point where she has no wool on her neck. All the way down her neck. Big long head sticking out. No wool on her neck. Because she's interested in feeding her belly. That is her primary interest in life. And she wants to do it with the best grass. And the grass nobody else can get to. So she's always sticking her head to the fence. There's almost no other sheep like that. There is another sheep that has a little bit of that tendency, and I've spotted her. But this one is incessant. It's obsessive, compulsive behavior. (laughs) (laughs) And she kept lagging back. She wanted to eat this grass that 
And she knew where the other sheep were going. But she was lagging back. So I'm on foot. So I got to walk all the way back. There's a half a mile. Back to the end of the line of sheep. And get her to start coming. Well then by the time I do that. The other sheep have started moseying over towards the hayfield. Instead of up towards where they're supposed to go. So then I go and I move them back. And then lo and behold I look. And she's back there again. Way back. Half a mile back. I have to go get her. Well, I did this about three times, and we were getting closer where they needed to be. Once I got them up on the road, they'd go, but they weren't getting there because this lagger, this slacker in the back. And so I have a cell phone. So I called home, and I said, bring a dog. They said, what? <laughs> I said, bring a dog. We have border collies. And... uh so, if you want to know who let the dogs out, I did. <laughs> so, they brought brought the dog, Clover. And uh, suddenly, and I didn't have to, you know, she, I called her. They came down the hill a ways. They're still a quarter of a mile away or so. And then I just they asked, should I let her go? And I said, yeah, let her go. And I called her and she came running right to me, but... She ran around the side of the sheep and they saw this dog and suddenly the fear of the Lord was in them because they saw that dog running through the field. They can outrun me. They can't outrun the dog. <laughs> Used to be I could outrun them, but now I'm getting old. So the, but the dog, and it's what we call a black and white unit, border collie. And suddenly they knew the dog was there. The dog was around and she stayed with me and then when I go and I say move over here, they move because they know the next command is get around them. And they, they have nothing like a dog to put a, put <laughs> a excessive compulsive behavior on the back burners. And, uh, today, the people, now how do you relate that story to what you're doing? Well, it shouldn't be very difficult because you guys are scattered flock. Some of you just want to feed your belly. You have a congregation meeting, you just eat. And it's, it's, it's not because your heart does not have God in it. It's because you are subject to obsessive compulsive behaviors. You are in a box, in a box, in a box. And we gotta let you out of that box. And so, I don't have any power to exercise authority. I can't really sick the dogs on you. But the dogs are out there, folks. They're out there listening to every one of your phone calls. They're out there spying on you. They're out there forming their next false flag. They're out there doing their dirty work. They're out there producing money that has no value. Producing food that is toxic. Your GMOs, your your poison foods, your processed foods, they are killing you step by step, process by process. You are being processed. You are human resources. And they have the dogs. And they will let the dogs out. And then you will see the reason why you need to come together. Because the dogs are loose. But it may be very late then. You need to start coming together now. 
You need to start becoming congregations now. You need to start learning how to live by love and faith and hope and the perfect law of liberty by setting your neighbors free, by being there for your neighbor for his benefit. You have to become the benefactors who don't exercise authority. You have to start becoming the government of the people, for the people, and by the people that does not live by the sword. This is what the congregations are. So get on the livingnetwork.org. Gather with those people. Start supporting the efforts to take care of one another. Start becoming the image of the kingdom in real ways. Don't just play church. Don't just fill out the paperwork. Be the paperwork. Be the testimony of Christ in your actions on a day-to-day basis. By becoming the social welfare system of Christ, the Corbin of Christ. The Corbin of the early church that Paul was writing to. That were doers of the word and not hearers only. Start learning what it means to love one another in real ways. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Step by step, move in that direction. I know you can't go... You're so far away. You cannot jump from the ship you're on to the rock in one leap. You can't do it. You have to turn around and move in that direction. And some of you are so far away from the rock that you cannot swim it. And there are sharks in the water anyway. You need to make the lifeboats. And the church was the lifeboat of Christ to help you move towards the kingdom and His righteousness. It was a form of government that cast up, that brought you back to the higher form of liberty by giving you the right to choose how you were going to take care of one another, through whom you were going to take care of one another, and by what means you were going to take care of one another. You chose what you were going to give to support your government. Because there is another king who is Christ. And until you have that king as your king and are being his fit subjects by gathering together in his name, you must still continue to abide in the decrees of Caesar. Now, I'm not going to, uh, probably never on these radio programs, although we have some recordings out, am I going to go through the details of how that relates to the kingdom of God, what the early church was doing, and how it relates to what we should be doing today. I will talk about that on the order group. I will talk about that in person at our feasts and festivals. I need to go to the one out in Missouri. I don't know how I can find the time and the funds to do it, but I need to do that. But I also need to finish these books on the altars of blood and friends and strangers. I just only have so much time. But I know that if you start being congregations of record and doing your job, 
my job will get easier. In some ways it'll get harder. In some ways it'll get easier. And that's what you have to do. Stop sitting there on the bench. Get in the game. Start gathering together. Don't be such a scattered flock. Start getting to know one another and developing those relationships of righteousness. Not just relationships. Not just feel-good relationships. Huggy, feely, touchy-feely relationships. Relationships of righteousness. Of being there for one another. In faith. In hope. In charity. According to the perfect law of liberty. According to the way of Christ. In His name. Because you're not doing that now in your churches out there. Corporated or unincorporated. You're just not doing it. Token stuff. That's all I see. And not much of that. You got some nice big screen TVs though. You got some nice sound systems. You got some... You out there in the home churches. You got some little intimate home churches. But you're just playing the same game on a smaller scale. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Until then... May peace be upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.